there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I just don't want him to make me bulk like a chicken. I don't want him to make me do that. I want to do that of my own volition. <laughs> okay, so we're about to see a hypnosis show on stage at the Mohegan Sun Casino, which is this sprawling complex in eastern Connecticut. Inside the casino, there is row after row of slot machines and craps tables. There's even a life-sized animatronic wolf, which is perched on a fake cliff. Look at that. That's a wolf. That's a wolf. The wolf, the wolf just moved. Oh. <laughs> We're in for a great Sunday night. Ladies and gentlemen, put it together for the world's greatest hypnotist, your buddy and mine, Mr. Jim Spinato. We met our hypnotist, Jim, backstage before the show. He told us that he started out his career as just your standard magician. That was until one day, a couple of decades ago, when he was asked to be the opening act for a hypnosis show. I didn't even know what that was. Then I watched his show and was like, whoa, what is this all about? Uh, what, what made you go, whoa? Because I, I never saw people act like that on stage. You had people doing some crazy things. What kind of things? Well... Jim laughed like that because he's about to make a bunch of people do some of those very same crazy things. Just come, 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 come. Let's go. Come up on stage. And I'd already told him that I was going to go on stage. Yeah, oh yeah, come up. Oh yeah, keep coming. We need a bunch. Need a bunch. Around 20 people, including me, walked on stage. And soon Jim was casting his spell. So let me ask you volunteers to sit back in your seats, place your feet flat on the floor, place your hands in your laps, separated, please. Yep. Close your eyes, volunteers. Just sit back and close your eyes. And just listen. Just listen to the music of my voice. Really, really simple. All I want you to do is to roll your eyes to the top of the ceiling as far as you can go, as if you're trying to stare at the top of your own forehead, all right? And as I do that, you're going to feel your eyes begin to get heavy, so heavy that by the time I reach zero, they'll actually close. Just stare. So I was sitting on this chair on stage, and at this point, I felt really relaxed, sort of like if you've ever meditated and the whole world melts away. My head rolled down, and I started to lean forward. And I actually thought my head was resting on my chest, but producers Caitlin Sorry and Heather Rogers, who were in the audience, told me later that my head was practically in my lap. Zero. Close your eyes, everybody. Everybody close your eyes. It was then that Jim gave us his first suggestion. To put our arms out and imagine that one hand is holding a heavy ball. Based on how low your hand dropped, Jim decided who could stay and who had to go. He kicked about a dozen people off stage, leaving just seven, including me. And all of us just happened to be women. It's always, it's always women here, so weird. Hmm. No faking. You fake later on tonight if you want, but not up here. 
Jim's hypnosis show is rated R. It's of the raunchy variety. So lots of swearing, lots of sex, jokes. But Jim started off with something easy, suggesting that the person sitting next to us smelled unbelievably good. When do you smell that? Yes, no? Okay. So you can't hear it, but I said no. I was a bit foggy and maybe I was starting to smell something sweet. But whatever state I was in, I immediately snapped out of it as soon as I saw the woman next to me leaping off her chair and starting to sniff the lady next to her. But she didn't just sniff him like a regular person would. She buried her head deep into her crutch and the crowd went nuts for this. Now that was the moment I realised I needed to get off stage. So I did. But everyone else stayed on. And under hypnosis, they ended up giving the audience lap dances. They got high smoking imaginary weed. They rapped. Yeah, can't stop laughing. They heard noises coming out of their vaginas. And Lauren, who's normally a real estate agent, was sent roaming around the club looking for a lost poodle called Twat. Twat! So what in the world was happening in the minds of those people on stage? Were they really putty in Jim Spinato's hands? Or were they just hamming it up for the crowd? Well, the thing is, entertainers aren't the only ones who use hypnosis. For thousands of years, across many cultures, healers and doctors have been using something that looks a lot like hypnosis to help their patients feel better. And while we first covered hypnosis in an episode a few years ago, we're updating it now because scientists just keep researching its potential to help with all kinds of things, from anxiety to pain to weight loss. And if this works, if you could harness the power of hypnosis to help people, like a few look into my eyes and you'll no longer feel crappy, that would be amazing. But what does the science say? Today, we're pushing science verses to the edge of consciousness as we look at the power of hypnosis. And it seems like there is something truly bizarre about hypnosis. And the scientists who study it say that this isn't just about faking it. I mean, surely when people are on a stage, they might ham it up for the crowd. But when researchers study this, they do think there is something weird going on. So let's find out what it is. By starting with the basics. When you take hypnosis off stage and into, say, the doctor's office, what exactly happens? Professor Philip Muskin is a psychiatrist at Columbia University in New York. The only thing you have to be careful with these chairs is they totally have a mind of their own. So if you move even a little, (laughs) correct. For more than three decades, he's been treating patients with hypnosis. And he says that even after all these years, he can still remember one of the first times that he saw someone get hypnotised. It was a doctor who was being hypnotised by another doctor. The hypnotist gave his subject a very simple but rather terrifying suggestion. You cannot separate your fingers. No force on earth will allow you to separate your fingers. When you open your eyes, your fingers will be fused together. You cannot separate them. 
Zane brought her out of the trance and her hands are like this and he gives her a cup of coffee and she goes to take it and just falls on the ground. I'm amazed. She then did a neurology residency here at the hospital I'm at now. And I ran into her one day and I said, I got, I've been meaning to ask you this for years. So here we are. What was going on? She said, I don't know. He told me I couldn't take my fingers apart. I couldn't take my fingers apart. He gave me the damn cup of coffee. I made a mess. I was embarrassed, but I couldn't take my fingers apart. Seeing this astounded Philip. He went on to study hypnosis, and he showed us how to hypnotize someone. Look into my eyes. Nah, that was just his Dracula impersonation. Okay, so here it is. This is how you actually hypnotize someone. And you'll notice that the words that Professor Philip Muskin uses are actually pretty similar to what Jim said on stage at the Mohegan Sun Casino. Roll your eyes up. Roll them up as high as they'll go. And keeping your eyeballs up, slowly close your eyelids. Take a deep breath. Deep, 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 deep. When I ask you to do this, all I want you to do is to roll your eyes to the top of the ceiling as far as you can go, as if you're trying to stare at the top of your own forehead, all right? Philip says you can use lots of things to hypnotize someone. You don't have to roll your eyes up or take a deep breath. You can use a spinning spiral or even dangle that old movie classic. The gold watch floating back and forth in front of your eyes. And those are all techniques that work. So They work. The gold watch works? Sure. But they, they, all <laughs> I work, thought it was... they all work for the same reason, that the person starts to concentrate his or her attention in a very narrow focus. Philip says that when you're so focused and the rest of the world just melts away and all you can hear is the hypnotist's voice, you are entering a trance. Yeah, that is seriously what Philip and other academics call it. A trance. Now, there's a few components needed for someone to be considered hypnotised, including what scientists call absorption and suggestibility. Absorption really means that you narrow your focus. You're absorbed. And suggestibility means that social cues that you might ignore, are, are more, you're more open to them. In a clinical setting, a person who's hypnotized might be sitting very still and quiet, waiting for instructions from the doctor. And once that suggestibility kicks in, that's when they can start to make suggestions to you. Like if perhaps they're trying to help you quit smoking, they might say, smoking is poison. Then the hypnotist basically wakes you up and ends the trance. Now in a minute, I'm going to have you open your eyes. Don't do anything, just listen. At three... three. You can start to move around your seats a little bit. Why don't you do that now? Just get a little bit of energy going on, okay? Four, almost awake. On the next number, your eyes will open. At that point, you'll be wide, wide, wide awake, feeling excellent. And you'll Ready? feel refreshed, like you'd taken a short nap. So, as a recap... To put someone under, you first focus them, get them absorbed, then give them suggestions. And finally, you wake them up. But knowing this left me with one big question. How does this work? What is, what is it about that focus state? That is what I can't wrap my head around. The trance and the, the, the being very, very focused, I can completely understand. But the fact that then your mind is more malleable, more likely to be suggestible 
when you're concentrating. How does that happen? So we can look at the brain and we can, to some extent, look at the brain functioning. Yeah. Brain studies have looked at people who seem to be under hypnosis and they found some strange stuff going on. So, for example, when people are hypnotised and told they're in pain, even though nothing's hurting them, parts of their brain look like they are actually feeling pain. And then, let me tell you about this weird study, where scientists wanted to know if they could hypnotise the brain into thinking it was hearing something that wasn't there. Okay, so here's what they did. Researchers scanned the brains of eight people while they played them a recording of a sentence that didn't mean anything. This is what it was. The man did not speak often, but when he did, it was worth hearing what he had to say. The researchers played that sentence over and over and over again so that it would get stuck in the subject's mind. The man did not speak often. The but man did, did not speak often. It was worth hearing what he but had when to he say. Did, it was worth hearing what he had to say. The people were then hypnotized and told that they were hearing the recording again. The man did not speak. But they weren't. They were just hypnotized. So they thought they were hearing it. The man did not speak often, but when he did, it was worth hearing what he had to say. Here's what the researchers found. When the people actually heard the recording, a particular area of their brain lit up. And when they were hypnotised and told they were hearing it, that area also lit up, as it did when they actually heard the sentence. And what made this even more convincing was that when people were told to just imagine that they were hearing the recording at a time when they weren't hypnotised at all, that part of their brain stayed dark. And so this suggested to the researchers that there was something curious going on with hypnosis. Like perhaps it was tricking the brain somehow. But still, these brain scans with people under hypnosis... They're often really small. And brain scans at the best of times are notoriously difficult to analyse. Still, though, from what we're seeing, there does seem to be something special about getting someone to be really, really focused. It seems to make them more open to following suggestions. But there's a lot that goes on we don't have a clue about. So how does it work? We don't, we don't know. And of course, whenever we don't know how something works, it either makes us think it's false, BS of some sort. But you don't. I don't. I don't from my personal experience. I don't from my experience with patients. Does it frustrate you that there's not a mechanism at play that we know about? We don't know about so much that, uh, you know, truly, if you get yourself caught up in all the things we don't know, uh, the world seems hopeless. I'll give you a common example. Falling in love. Most everybody falls in love. You see somebody and you say hello and you're pretty much in love at that moment. Boom. What is that? And we could come up with stuff, but we're making it up. Here's what we do know, though. While we like to think that everyone can fall in love... It doesn't look like everyone can be hypnotised. And Philip says it can be really hard to know who's going to go under just by looking at them. There are uh, people who are very hypnotizable, but they wear three-piece suits. You can be weak-willed and not be hypnotizable at all and extremely strong-willed and be very hypnotizable. 
studies with identical twins suggest there's actually a genetic link between people who are hypnotizable. But researchers say the only way that we can know for sure if, say, you can be hypnotized is to actually try to hypnotize you, ask you to do a series of increasingly complicated tasks and see if you do it. A test. And there's a few of these kinds of tests. Two of the most common come from Harvard and Stanford. And when scientists use these tests, they've found that, like most personality traits, being extroverted or neurotic, hypnotizability falls into a spectrum where most people are in the middle, 10 to 15% are hypnotizable, and then there are very, very few incredibly hypnotizable people. These are people who will follow extremely complicated suggestions. On stage, Jim's hypnosis didn't really work on me, but I wanted to see how I would go in a clinical setting, you know, with a professional. Look into my eyes. Philip gave me a short hypnotizability test. And he used this simple scoring system of zero to five. Zero, not hypnotizable at all. Five, very hypnotizable. He put me under, then told me my arm felt tingly. And it did kind of start to feel tingly. Then, after a couple more suggestions, he got me out of it. Open up your eyelids. Open them up and bring them into focus. How do you feel? Uh, yeah, I, I feel very, um, a little bit drugged out. Drugged out? The most similar to when I've felt like this before. Okay. Is it a good feeling or a bad feeling? Uh, it's like a little bit woozy making. A little bit woozy. Okay. As you can hear, I do sound pretty groggy and... That actually really surprised me for just five minutes of focusing my attention, for my head to feel all woozy. That was odd. And it led Philip Muskin to tell me... You're actually hypnotizable. Sorry to, to disappoint you. What number? What number am I? You're at least a three. At least a three? I don't want people messing with my head to be like a puppet on a string for some hypnotist or even some researcher. Like Amanda Barnier. I'm a professor of cognitive science at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. Amanda studies extremely hypnotizable people, people at the top end of that scale that Philip used on me. And she writes about them in peer reviewed journals. So Amanda told me about one case of a man called Blake. It's not his real name. But she put him under hypnosis and then gave him a rather remarkable suggestion. In a moment, I'm going to get you to look into a mirror and you're going to see a stranger, not yourself. And then I said, okay, lean forward, open your eyes and look in the mirror. And he opens his eyes and he looks in the mirror and then he looks around the room and he looks at me and he looks around the room and I said, who is it? And what do you see? And he said, it's not me. I said, do you know who it is? And he said, yeah, oh, I think it's a guy that I used to go to school with. And I said, do you, does he look like you? And he said, um, no. Amanda pushed Blake and he kept saying that the person he could see in the mirror was definitely not him. He said, well, his eyes are smaller, his nose is bigger, he's got freckles. So, yeah, that's absolutely one of the most compelling sessions that I've ever sat in. 
Amanda tried this out on 22 highly hypnotizable people. And over half of them said that they saw a stranger when they looked in the mirror. She also tried this out on people with low hypnotizability. And it didn't work. So from all this, Amanda knows that you can push some people pretty far when they're under. But how far can you take it? I don't know how far, and I don't know that it's, and it's not ethical to test how far that mind control will go. I haven't tested, and I don't know where the limit is. There's going to be a limit somewhere. Um, I don't want to test it. <laughs> Ugh, academics and their pesky ethics. Well, there's one organisation that doesn't have to worry about that. The CIA. So, now, how far can you push someone with hypnosis? We take a look over in our full episode, which you can find on our main feed. Just search for Science Versus, that's Science VS in Spotify. And we'll also look at whether you can use hypnosis to treat things like anxiety or even pain. So it's all over at Science Versus, Science VS. You got it. Go do it. Go search for it now. We'll see you there. I'm Wendy Zuckerman. Back to you next time.